well, here we are back again with another Oblong Desk. I'm John Tyndall, and joining me is Noakes. Hello, Noakes. Hi, John. How are you? I am on top of the world looking down on creation, um, particularly the creation of our website, which we've uh, been plugging yes. for ages but has had very little on it, uh, but now has got some stuff on there. So uh, if you'd like to head over to oblongdesk.podbean.com, listener, there's loads of w- what the kids like to call content available for you now as well as the previous episodes there's also oh there's i've written a little story of oblong desk i've written a bit about us and uh, chiefly which you might like to get involved with we've um, put together all of the songs we've been handing out awards for and so what we'd like you to do is have a look at those and if you think no they made a massive mistake there they picked the wrong best track ever uh, and i think that i've got one that's better then uh, have a read and then send us a message and say, no, actually, I think this one was the best, or indeed this one deserved the Warnock more. Yes, please do that. And uh, in fact, we've had someone send us uh, some responses to uh, our previous shows, one of which um, I believe is a response to our first Warnock Award, is it not? It is, yes. Uh, Robin, thanks for getting in touch. And uh, he defended Mr Big which is very, very brave it's of admirable. Him. I mean, he's not defending to be with you, I don't think, but he is saying they did have another good quality hit. So, uh, yeah, go, go and have a search for Mr Big's back catalogue and see if you agree with Robin or if you agree with us. Yes, I think it was Green Tinted 60s Mind was the one he said was quite good. and It was, uh, it was one of those that got in the top 75 but didn't get in the top 40. I don't know it, so uh, maybe I'll have to check it out as well. I think in the fairness of people listening to us, we should go, if, if a listener sends us something and goes, have a listen to this, I think we should make it our yeah. job to go and have a listen and see what we think. So we will do that, Robin. Um, we've also, while we're on the subject of uh, listeners correcting us, got to say thank you to Richard Button, who's been on the case on this Carter mystery and has come up finally with the correct name of Fat Where's Fat Kev. Right. Where's was the drummer? We were right about that, but mate, I believe you've got um, the definitive answer from Richard on yes. Who was this missing member that you saw in a news agent in Nottingham? <laughs> yes, as seen in Smiths with fat gut present. It was John the Beast. That was his name. So the Beast is what the band tended to call him, and uh, that's what he was called when he was interviewed on the telly and in in the press. So yes, as soon as I saw that, I thought, oh, of course it was. Of course it was. It's one of those things. It was somewhere in the back of my mind, but it needed needed Richard to uh, prompt prompt me to remember it. So thank you for that clarification. What we got coming up today then, I'll tell you what, it's a bit different today because we're spreading our wings further and wider and entering the murky world of hits. Noakes, tell us more. Yeah, so the Hits albums, I think, are best known for being a Sony, CBS, BMG group um, issued set of compilations, mainly in the 80s, really. They were most famous. The first Hits album was a huge seller, and um, you still see it around in uh, secondhand shops, record fairs, charity shops, and the like. Um, And by the early 90s, they were struggling a bit, so they tried to relaunch the range a couple of times. Um, It disappeared for a while in 1991. There was then some Suddenly the Hits album, which was just called the Hits album, um, but had Hits 15 on the spine, even though it was actually Hits 14. So by that stage, they couldn't even be bothered to check how many they'd issued. Now, you wouldn't get that with the now albums, would you? Um, So 
they they took a break and then suddenly they were back in 1993 under a new regime a new regime that does not and we've tried to find this out uh, i spent more time than i probably should have searching this the compiler the the sony answer to ashley abram we have no idea it's a corporate behemoth and they're hiding behind <laughs> that so we can't pin any of the wonderful decisions that have been made on hits that we're going to look at today on any single person if it's you get in touch <laughs> can we uh, can we give them a name should we get should we call them terry talstar or something i mean i don't know tommy talstar what do you reckon oh how about terry star talstar see what i did there i like that <laughs> let's, let's do go that. With that let's do that until somebody comes and corrects us <laughs> yes and then we'll <laughs> and we'll still call him that um, because, as as you said, they were released on Telstar. Now, by this point, it was Telstar BMG, so they were part of the BMG Sony Empire. So, rightly, I think, these are considered continuations of the hit series, although they're all called, in this case, Hits 93, Volume Something. Um, the first one we're going to cover, Hits 93, Volume 1, not entirely surprisingly, a fairly bland blue cover with a kind of silvery shape on it that looks a bit like a, a minstrel or similar chocolate of that shape right <laughs> they weren't throwing a lot of money at the uh, at the corporate design there no no and 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 i don't know who they had as the mark goodyear equivalent for the uh, for the advert voiceovers either i'm sure they might be out there somewhere on youtube but uh, i'll level with you i haven't checked Oh, well, we'll go and have a look later, or somebody will. Yeah, somebody. You can do that for us. I'm as looking. Well. We're being terrifically lazy. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, well, it's warm, isn't it? It, it is. As, as at time right. of recording, it is very warm. So, let's give you a quick fact check on this first album. Then, hits ninety-three, volume one. As I said, released on the eighth of February ninety-three. So that's before now twenty-four, which we've already covered for you. Um, the tagline for this is eighteen of today's hottest hits, which isn't that exciting really especially as they had enough room on the cd to fit a couple more but they didn't for some reason um it did okay in the charts actually this three weeks at number one isn't too shabby at all uh 15 weeks in the compilation chart top 20 so it seems like it had a good deal of promotion and as i said it's regarded as a continuation of the hit series so that may have given it a bit of a helping hand as well um so we're going to go through the tracks in order as usual, but we're going to skip through a few, aren't we? Because we've already covered them. We are. Basically, if it's already appeared on a Now album that we've reviewed, you don't want to hear us say the same thing again. And our views, although they sometimes change over time, are not going to change within <laughs> no. the space of a couple of weeks. So let's kick off then with track one. It's Snap Exterminate. Track two, West End featuring Sybil, The Love I Lost. Two Unlimited with No Limit is track three. Take That's Could It Be Magic is track four, and Annie Lennox's Love Song for a Vampire is track five. We've looked at all of those. We have. You can tell Mr. Abram's not in charge because Two Unlimited's track three. I mean, that's an error for a start. One off from being in the perfect place on the album. Shoddy, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> not that we love now more, but we do. <laughs> we they do. Are the Coke we do, yes, to, we do. They are the Coke to hits is Pepsi. Uh, well, you see, I like Pepsi. So um, I know but, that doesn't but, work, but you know. But yes, all right. all right then. Do you like Burger King more than Mackey's as well? Uh, no. Oh well, that's all right then. We'll go with that analogy. <laughs> Look, you can work that out for yourselves, listener. Come up with your own. I tell you what, let's stop all this and get on with our first actual proper review of a track. And it's uh, track six, Undercover. I want to stay with you. <laughs> 
and uh, we've given Undercover a bit of a rough ride, haven't we, mate? We have, yes. I think we said Baker Street was okay in the grand scheme of things. We didn't really like Never Let Her Slip Away. Um, This was their third and final Top 40 hit, a number 28 song, and it's a cover of a Gallagher and Lyle thing from the 70s. I say thing because I think we've both played it on the radio quite enough in our lifetimes and uh, would willingly never hear it again. However, you seem to have decided that this is better than the original. Well, I, I'm, as you know, massively against this sort of thing, the undercover treatment, um, where they put the blip-blop bit and then a drum beat over a fairly turgid song to start with. But I think the golfers Bernard Gallagher and Sandy Lyle didn't do a great job in the first place, and uh, it's pepped up no end by the 90s drum beat and fake sax and plinky-plonky bit. And actually, it's a pleasant enough listen. It's okay. So, yeah. yeah. It's all right. I mean, it, it isn't It isn't the worst Plinky Plonk cover on this album, as we'll discover. New. So, uh, a strong start from Undercover there. Um, however, we can't say the same thing of the next track. That's uh, <laughs> M People, How Can I Love You More. Heather Small's voice is often described as distinctive, which I think is code for horrible. And it's also described as soulful, which is uh, more code for out of tune. And if you add to that the plasticky, safe instrumental arrangements that uh, M people are famous for, it's fairly dire. Uh, I would say, how can you love me more? By keeping quiet. Yeah, we kind of covered this before when we were talking about Now 24 because I included it in the Look What You Could Have Won section. There's actually a few songs on this album that were discussed in that part of Now 24, which kind of indicates that maybe Telstar BMG had the first dibs on some of these tracks. Um, Not sure, but in this case, it's no great loss to the Now uh, collection um, because I am kind of with you on this one I like the early M people stuff so basically everything they released up to this when they weren't having big hits I think is actually pretty decent and then they made this really overproduced style that then endured for the rest of their career and the original of How Can I Love You More is brilliant it's fairly minimal in terms of production um, but Heather Small's voice even though I'm pretty sure it's the same vocal sounds a hell of a lot better on the original than it does on this, they've thrown everything at this it's um, it's Sasha who uh, remixed this one I think I'm not a massive fan I am however of this next track which is the first one we're going to play today, let's do that, it's track 8 and uh, open your mind from Yusura Open Your Mind from Asura, track 8 on Hits 93, volume 1, and a bit of a favourite on URN when this was released. And surprisingly, given that you like it, John, it uh, it's contains quite a lot of Simple Mind. Well, yeah, there is that. Um, and I did play it at the time, loads, and I liked it. When you pull it apart in the cold light of day... It is just three chords, three words, and a woman saying, oh, repeated for three and a half minutes. And, you know, maybe maybe that's all it needs. Um, but, yes, it, what, the key thing it doesn't feature uh, of Simple Minds is Jim Kerr. That's true. There's none of that. There's, there's none, there's of, none him of on that. that. No. Well, shops own Bono. Well, even the original didn't have much on it. It was, it was. Uh, in case you don't know, it was New Gold Dream eighty one, eighty two, eighty three, eighty four was the original track. Yes, that that is what it was called, and um, it basically has Jim Kerr just saying that 
and that and that's it so it's a similar idea to what simple minds did with it um i think you have to give them some credit for coming up with a song that uh, 10 years or so later could be converted into uh, a dance classic because i think that's what this is really it's aged quite well and um the original production clearly stands up because they did a remix later in the 90s i think it was around 97 ish 98 maybe um when they made it sound like all the dance songs in that era and whether it's because the dance songs of that era were terrible or whether it's because the remix was just bad i'm not sure probably both i suspect i say i i really liked it at the time for me yeah it still stands up but not as much as other things stand up it's it's kind of squatting <laughs> okay squatting what a lovely poised. image what a lovely image Who Yes. Uh, track nine is Arrested Development, Mr. Wendell. Um, and they're doing a passable impression of Della Soul here, and there is nothing wrong with that in my book. If you can sound like Della Soul, fantastic. The the rap's very kind of chatty, spoken, uh, and laid back, as, as is, I mean, quite a lot of Arrested Development, as we've discussed with some of their other tracks, they're laid back. This, I think, well up there, not the, not their best, but well up there. Yeah, I'd certainly rather hear this again over uh, people every day, that's for sure. Um, I think it's it's all right. Uh, I prefer Tennessee, but this is okay. Um, and, yeah, I see where, where you're coming from with the De La Soul thing. There was a whole group of those rappers, wasn't there, called Native Tongues, and you, they included Jungle Brothers and um, Q-Tip from A Tribe Called Quest and Moni Love even, and, and it is that kind of style. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard the Perfecto remix of that, but it's actually really, really good. I think it came out with a late a single i think they released it so it wasn't around at the time but um it's worth a listen i think it works really well in a kind of not not really a banging dance floor style but a, a bit more bit more going on in it if you know what i mean well yeah perfecto had their way of doing that didn't they as we discussed with the u2 track from uh, yeah. a couple of desks ago uh, right let's change the mood then let's get into a spiritual high for track called Spiritual High, brackets, State of Independence, close brackets. It comes from Mood Swings. It's track 10 on Hits 93 Volume 1, which is one of two albums we're reviewing on Oblong Desk this time. And this was a huge favourite on the turntables at URN, but less so for the record-buying public. Now, originally, it came out in 1991 and got to number 66. This was supposedly, if you believe the chart books, just a reissue. It, it isn't. It's definitely a remix, and um, it still sadly didn't do very well in the chart. It only got to number 47 this time. So uh, a strange inclusion then um, on the album, because you know most of the rest of the stuff here is quite big to this point. Um, quite big as well to take on 
somebody of the disco might of Donna Summer and uh, and re-sing basically. Uh, but they got Chrissy Hind from the Pretenders yep. to uh, do the do the vocal on this. The original Just Edges it for me. I did love it at the time, and that's hands up again. I was young and I hadn't had a chance to listen to everything. I was not aware of the Donna Summer original before I heard this, so it introduced me to that. And Donna Summer's has got the shibubba ding shibubba dong <laughs> bit that goes on which i'm a particular fan of uh, and this one doesn't have that so so donna edges it for me yeah it's um i think it's a good version and uh, i think it's a nice chilled tune perfect for today's weather as we record this um and it does turn up on chill out albums now and then this um and of course the Donna Summer wasn't even the original, was it? There was the original original that John and Vangelis did, which wasn't a hit either. Um, but I'm with you. I prefer the Donna Summer one out of all the different versions. This one's a, a close second. It's quite got quite a different feel to it. Um, really surprised it wasn't a top 40 hit. Of course, it may have been put on the album as it was released as a single or just before it was released as a single the one thing we don't know um as part of these hits albums is exactly when they were compiled we know when they were released but actually abram would usually lock down the now albums a couple of weeks before they came out um at least in terms of the booklet there's no information in the booklet uh even the old hits albums used to have you know little biographies pretty pretty short but they usually had something this has nothing has a few pictures in the booklet and that's it so it could be that it was a pre-release which may explain how it got on here but regardless you know it's a nice snapshot of the time and i think it's good to have it on here much bigger hit track 11 lisa stansfield someday i'm coming back you know every so often singers singing singers get told or there's this kind of fashion to sing in your own accent rather than like a faux american one i just say thank god lisa stansfield never succumbed to that because in interviews she always sounds like she sneaked off the set of Phoenix Nights. Um, this song is okay, but I don't think it's a patch on the dance stuff that she did earlier on. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. I think in terms of the slower tempo ones, it's probably a cut above some of the stuff she did before and after. Um, we've got a, another one of her 93 hits to cover later on down the line, um, which is nowhere near as good as this, in my opinion. It, it's all right. The, the only thing that annoyed me about this was the fade-in, because it wasn't long enough to be worthwhile, and it, it was kind of too short that if you tried to, as a, as a radio presenter, if you tried to talk over it, you couldn't because you were always going to talk over it. It's about one and a half second fading. What's the point of that, eh? It's almost like they did it for some sort of musical thing and didn't think of the DJs playing it on the radio. It's an outrage. Yeah, That's what it is. very dare they? Track 12, uh, Forever People by The Shaman, we covered on our special Oblong Desk's Occasional Table, which... Uh, you may well have heard if not go to the website download it do that and have a listen to some rave um this is probably the most poppy single the shaman released uh, there's an added touch of class with julissa anderson's vocal big hat tip to the Beatmasters as well for turning a quite ordinary album version into this punchy piece of pop yeah they did that with all the shaman tracks from bostron i think the Beatmasters were over all of them and they did it for other people later on uh pet shop boys is the one that comes to my mind who wouldn't normally do this kind of thing the single version is very different from the album version i like both um but yeah they they definitely did a good job on on the shaman's singles and um we'll move on from that because as you say we've, we've discussed that 
uh, a little bit earlier. And we'll go on to track 13, which is... Oh, yes, here's where I rub my hands with glee. Get ready for some rapination. Sorry, I had to do it again. And uh, Love Me The Right Way, track 13 on Hits 93, volume 1. Well, I mean, you know my feelings on this. I think it's quite magnificent. If you want to play something to future generations that absolutely captures what a dance track in 93 sounded like, then this is that track. You've got the diva vocals, you've got the piano, you've got the synth drums, and you've got that uh, 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 noise which is a, I suppose it's my way of saying that it's it's quite generic but I do still think that it entirely encapsulates what it was to be playing dance music and making dance music in this period of time it's a little bit like a prototype for the motivate beats that would be everywhere a couple of years later but this is the Rapino brothers behind this one and they did do remixes for other people as well we'll probably come to some of those uh, in the near future I expect so yeah it's um it's an Italian dance track obviously that means I'm bound to like it it was released just before Christmas uh, but took a very long time to reach its peak spot of just number 22 which I think is a, a bit disgraceful deserve to be top 20 at least the follow-up did something rare they credited Carol Kenyon on uh, the follow-up single, Rapination did, which is, you know, something that Heaven 17, Paul Hardcastle and others never bothered with. However, the baffling title of this particular single that uh, they chose as a follow-up, Here's My A, probably contributed to its stalling at number 69. I, I don't know what the A stands for. There's lots of things it could be, many of which I, I wouldn't want to talk about. No. Um... Carol Kenyon's just just not a lucky person in pop, is she? She's not. Gets credited, no hit. Um, talking of prototypes, though, uh, Time Frequency, New Emotion, track 14, it's very much a kind of beta entrance, isn't it? Um, and there's a lot to be said for getting somewhere first, but not in this case, <laughs> I don't think. Uh, wait around for Set You Free and save yourself the trouble of listening to this. It's not very good. Yeah, it is kind of similar, and um, they were Scottish, the time frequency. I don't think Entrance were, but what I do know about... No, they were from Blackburn. Yeah. Blackburn. But what I do know about Entrance is that um, a lot of their songs sold really well in Scotland. There was this kind of enclave in Scotland where they bought all this kind of stuff in much greater numbers than the rest of the UK. That's N-Clave, then. Yes, I think you're right. Um, this was the first of five top 40 hits for the time frequency. They all sound pretty much the same. Uh, this one only got to number 36. The only one that sounds a bit different is one called Such a Fantasy, where uh, the vocalist sounds like she really needs to go to the toilet. It's, it's, <laughs> it's not a pretty listen. It really is quite horrid. But because it appeared on, well, only one compilation that I know of, which... 
I don't think we'll be covering. Please don't uh, take this as an opportunity to contact us and say, no, no, I think you should do Dance Zone level whatever it is, two or three, I can't remember, um, because I really don't want to hear that again. This one isn't horrible, but it's not particularly great either. You'd like to think that if somebody was desperate for a pee, they'd get uh, Mr. C out of the shame to go, still holding it in. <laughs> Can you think of a better name for the compiler of the hits albums? We like Terry Starr, but we'll happily consider others. And who's the most overrated person in pop? A couple of candidates already in Jim Kerr and Heather Small. Or maybe you have one of your own. Messages at the Oblong Desk on Facebook or Twitter, or comment on our website, oblongdesk.podbean.com. We're not done. Noakes takes a swipe at a national treasure. Esther Ranson, let's just say she's not one of my favourite people. I recreate a moment from Strictly. There's no swing or sway, darling. And we'll hand out the first of our Neil Warnock Awards to a quote, music legend, end quote. Next, though, track 15, which features a collection of wrestlers. Set your musical tolerance bar to well below average. Oblong Desk, and we are reviewing the first two editions of Hits 93. On this edition, we've reached track 15, and you've just heard some of Slam Jam by the WWF Superstars. So, John, a bit like Brett the Hitman Hearts, do you think that song is the best there is, the best there ever was, the best there ever will be? No, it's <laughs> snooker loopy, but with way more oil, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, you've basically got a bunch of people talking about how to do, how to do pro wrestling uh, over a very very funky kind of guitar-y, rocky is it pop mess it's it's it is a mess and it's equally as staged as any one of their fights <laughs> although i do like the undertaker's bit i think he comes out of this with his head held high well he's he's very much on brand isn't he because the undertaker and i know this from having watched wrestling not now i haven't watched it for years but i used to watch it and the undertaker at the start was very enigmatic so he, he didn't ever used to talk so the fact that the only thing he contributes to this song is the Undertaker says slam is absolutely on brand for him um, and and it is the most amusing although Randy Savage's attempts to even speak English are also worth the price of admission I would say he beats he sounds like this and, and that <laughs> You can't understand a word he's saying. But in fairness, Bret Hart no. actually Bret Hart is actually quite good on this. And the British Bulldog, I think, is the other one, isn't it? Um they they kind of they kind of get into the spirit of it really. I don't think Randy Savage had a clue what was going on and who could blame him. Of course you know who produced this, don't you? No, but you're gonna tell us. Stock Aiken and Waterman. You surprise me. <laughs> um, although I think Simon Cowell had something to do with putting the song together. I think it was his idea to get the wrestlers um, together on a on a song for Christmas. It was one of those, you know, oh, is this going to be Christmas number one? When they did the roundups on the telly and, and b- before before the festive period, clearly it, it never was. Uh, it got to number four. 
Um, the follow-up of WrestleMania got to number 14, and then they were really pushing it with a third one called USA, which only got to number 71, and I think featured Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Right. <laughs> he had a two-by-four, you know, and used to hit people uh, with it. That's all you need to know about him. Follow that hit, and uh, to be fair, they don't even bother <laughs> don't trying. Even try, uh, track 16, track 16 is Nick Haverson, Head Over Heels. I was genuinely going to listen to this. This falls into the category of what, who, where, as I'm sure it does for many of you. So I was going to listen to it, but then I remembered that it was a while since I'd gone round the house with a spirit level checking all the picture frames, so I did that instead. My pictures are beautifully straight, but I'm none the wiser anything to do with this track and uh. well luckily i listened to it for you and on behalf of the listener so uh, lucky me poor nick haverson his one and only non-hit because it only got to number 48 and they don't even spell his name right on the uh, album sleeve it's nick without a k they've given him a, an extra k um it's head over heels is the song it, it's not the apple one all the tears for fears one or even Keke Kegel's uh, Head Over Heels in Love covered, which which would be better, to be honest. What it is, is it's a rock and roll pastiche. Um, it's not a cover. It sounds like one. It was co-written by Don Black, who's a very famous songwriter, wrote loads of songs for musicals. And the reason why this exists, I don't know why it's on the album. I can only assume Telstar had some kind of deal with ITV. There was a series of the same name, uh, which was set in a a girls' school, I think, something like that, in the 50s. Uh, it lasted for one series, so it must have been a, a roaring success. So this is probably the only place that any of this is recorded for posterity oh, yeah. and they needn't have bothered. Because yeah, yeah. you don't need to save everything. This, no, no, this no. feels like it should be garage cleared out. Yes, totally agree. Um, the series lasted for seven episodes. It was on around about the time this album came out, which, you know, at least they put it, put it on in the right time period. But clearly the Housewives didn't like it as much as Heartbeat or London's Burning where songs were spun off the back of those that became hits uh, because this as I said missed the top 40 and uh, it's it's really just a footnote in history so much so that the Wikipedia page has citation needed all over it if you go to find out any <laughs> details about this TV show Tell you what though, however bad it is it cannot be as bad as track 17 which uh, features our first awarding of the Neil Warnock Award for the track that ruins everything uh, we're doing two this album because we've got two albums and each one has a contender. And it goes to Mr. Tom Jones. What? How? I hear you going, how? <laughs> you can't give... Oh, yes, we can, because he is on here with All You Need Is Love. Yes, the Beatles song, All You Need Is Love. And you're still thinking, yeah, but Tom Jones will be able to pull that off. That's fine. No. It's got that hooked on classics drum beat thing going on, an awful synthesized orchestra part. And with apologies to Craig Revel Horde, there's no swing or sway, darling. In short, it sounds like it was knocked up in five minutes. Um, as far as I'm concerned, you should treat material of this fame and quality with respect. You should not make it sound like it's been knocked up in five minutes. And you have to wonder why someone who now has the title music legend bestowed upon them didn't take one listen to this and say, oh, no, boy, oh, not a chance. But he didn't. He recorded it. And for that reason, he's having a Warnock. <laughs> yes. And I think it's totally deserved in this case. I mean, it, it achieves the remarkable 
uh, effect of sounding more dated than the not particularly interesting 50s pastiche that came before it. Um, it it's much less convincing. Did you know who produced this one? And it wasn't Stock Aitken and Waterman. No. No, I mean, I presume it was a five-year-old with no <laughs> clue as to what a music studio was or music. Well, you'd think so, but it was, in fact, Dave Stewart from the Eurythmics. Well, then he can share the flipping Warnock. I'll send one to him as well. I'm sure he'd be delighted, which, which does mean you have Annie Lennox and Dave Stewart on this album separately. I suppose that it's achieved that, if nothing else. I can only assume that Dave Stewart did knock it up in five minutes and that both he and Tom Jones were bullied by Esther Ransom because it was a charity song for Childline. Um, but Esther Ranson, let's just say, she's not one of my favourite people. Whenever there's any scandal uh, that happens these days, she tends to turn up and be a public figurehead and an expert for it, whether anyone asks her to or not. She's basically the Lulu of um, of public events and newsworthy things. Um, she just turns up whether you want her to or not. Um, obviously, goes without saying nothing against the profits going to Childline and the charity in general that is a very worthy cause however you do think they could have done much better than this it got to number 19 so it can't have sold too many copies either it was Tom Jones first hit since Kiss with The Art of Noise uh, which is how you do perform a cover of an old song in a decent way correct final track on this album is the now really 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 clutching at straws for some hits before they die <laughs> go west and what you won't do for love um and i'll tell you what i won't do for love uh, and that is to give this more than about three out of ten it's very poor yeah it's a bit of a steve beach classic this one isn't it from the urn fold he he liked this one i remember um yeah what you won't do for love by go west it's another cover so it was originally by a chap called bobby coldwell who was more of a writer than a performer which is probably why he didn't have a hit with it at least not in the uk uh number 15 hit so you know by no means the smallest hit single on this album and as you say they were in their kind of uh, what's the word? Twilight of their career, I suppose. They had a couple of hits in 93 and then that was it. Um, and they were also doing covers, uh, pretty much only doing covers at this point, which always gives you an idea of how close an artist is to expiring. <laughs> So Go West bring us to the end of Hits 93, Volume 1, and it's now, straight away, time for Volume 2. Noakes, what have you got for us on the second of our discs we're covering today? Yeah, so it's uh, the second edition of Hits 93, as you would expect, it being called Volume 2, or Vol 2, if you look at the sleeve. Someone couldn't be bothered to get the letter set out for the whole of that one. It was released on the 17th of May 1993, so in between two albums, in between now 24 and 25, which means there's some songs that overlap with each of those, one of which you've already heard us talk about, one of which you won't have done yet. Um, in the chart, it didn't do quite as well, just one week at number two, which is pretty poor, really. Um, and uh, the cover, similar to the previous one, it's got that kind of um, space minstrel type thing. That's what I'm calling it now. But this time it's floating on a yellow background and they've tried to give it a not particularly convincing 3D effect as well. Marvellous. Let's pop it in the Oblong Desk CD player and uh, have a listen to track one. You've got to move it.
Track one on Hits 93, volume two. That was Two Unlimited and Tribal Dance. And I have to pull Terry Starr up on his compilation of this album. Two Unlimited in the track three position on the first volume. Now on track one. It's like they're deliberately avoiding the obvious, isn't it? Yeah, if you're going to do this compilation game seriously, Terry, you better start stepping up to the plate a bit more. I think we're both agreed on that. Um, Two Unlimited, Tribal Dance, they had a formula for a hit by this time, didn't they? And they were sticking very, very closely to it. Uh, even if Anita and Ray sound like a couple you'd find down the bingo. <laughs> yes, I'd never really thought about that before, but uh, you're quite right. They're not very uh, pop star names, are they? Although, uh, actually, Ray gets a fair bit to do on this one, I think. He, he's probably roughly equal billing with Anita on this. And there's also those weird kind of, well, tribal, I suppose, sounding vocals in the background as well through some of this. So it, it's a little bit different to their usual fare. It's quite different from No Limit, but it's not wandering too far from the formula, no. Track two, then, is Whitney Houston and Shaka Khan's really good song, I'm Every Woman, is a really good song when Shaka Khan sings it. <laughs> and uh, there we go. Over to you, because uh, That's I, it, don't is think it? Whitney, I don't think Whitney's added much here. No, well, I mean, it's... Uh, I suppose... I have to say, it's the one fruit from having Telstar link up with BMG in that Whitney's appeared on here. Uh, whether you regard that as a good thing or not, I don't know, but Whitney was very much a, a hits artist in the past and, and not a now artist through being on the Sony group. Um, I don't like this much either. Um, I, I particularly don't like the end when she actually points out the fact that Chaka Khan's there in the background as if she suddenly walked in and she's amazed that she's there. Wasn't, wasn't Chaka Khan her aunt or something? I don't know. No, that was Dionne Warwick. Oh, it was, wasn't it? That was it? Dionne Warwick. I thought yes. they were related in some vague way, but anyway. Maybe they all lived together in a big soul house. <laughs> yes. I mean, the real shame here is that this was pretty much the only upbeat song on The Bodyguard that she sang, um, but it's probably the most rubbish one, other than the number one behemoth that we shan't talk about. It's just not very good, really. And yet this is the one you hear on the radio now. For some reason, it gets a fair bit of play these days, and I don't understand why. Yeah, because she's not been dead long enough to um, to fall into that bracket of it being cheaper, is it? No, not really. Somebody's still getting the royalties. Um, yes, interesting. Shaka Khan's version is a lot better. Uh, SWV, a track three, with I'm So Into You, I'm Not. <laughs> that, was an, that was another quick one there. Um, well, the, the thing with this one, what I will say is, um, when I bought this for URN, I was very confused because I am absolutely convinced, although I've got no way of proving this now, the URN record library is in a loft somewhere or burnt or whatever it is that's happened to it, um, that there was no A-side. It was one of those things where either the, both sides of the disc said the A-side or they just didn't have an A and a B-side. The version that is supposed to be on here is the All Stars Drop Radio Mix. Now, that's the one I played on my chart show that, for me, I considered to be the A-side of this single. That is not the version here. I've got what is supposedly the All Stars Drop Radio Mix on three different compilations, and on two of them, including this one, it isn't. It's completely the wrong version. So, something to do with this single has made everyone get very confused over the years. Um, I don't mind it in its proper mix which this isn't the all-stars drop radio mix in a nutshell is a bit more urban uh, or a bit more 
I suppose it would have been more New Jack... Was it New Jack Swing still then? Probably. And a bit less kind of slow R&B, smooth groove type stuff. And and I'm really not keen on the slow R&B stuff. So if they'd put the right mix on, it would have been better in summary. The only thing that SWV had going for them, as far as I'm concerned, is they did have that Utah Saints thing going on of name-checking themselves constantly in their songs so you wouldn't forget that they were SWV rather than anyone else. Yeah, they did, didn't they? But um, that still didn't stop me calling them Sisters Without Voices by mistake the last time I played them on my radio show. Um, so uh, clearly it hasn't got through to me. That was, that, that was a, good, uh, a good move on my part. Or perhaps it was just wishful thinking. But uh, let, let's, not, uh, let's not dwell on that. Let's move on to track four, which is Packet of Peace by Lion Rock. It's Justin Robertson, again, not remixing somebody else, but doing his own song this time. And it's a bit of Mancunian chat over a rave beat. It's not bad for that. It's a perfectly pleasant rave it's beat right. um, with, with, with a guy occasionally talking about... I'm not, well, I'm not sure. It seems like he may have been <laughs> under the influence of something. It sounds very profound without actually saying anything at all. Just the very minimal lyric that drops in, I think, about three times during the song. And the rest of it is just glow sticks out, dance around in a sweaty field or nightclub uh, or tent. Take your pick. Yeah, what were they doing in '93? It was Fields, wasn't it? Yeah, Fields, I think mainly. Yeah, I mean, it, it is that kind of track. It, it got in the '30s in the chart and no higher. I think that's probably about right for it, really. Um, and it's sandwiched in between SWV and another girl group who I find much more annoying than SWV, Jade and Don't Walk Away. I didn't like this at the time. I still don't like it. And what's even worse is that Terry Starr has. Dropped a clangor again by putting the full version on here, including that incredibly annoying bit where they leave a phone message at the start of the song. I think we should walk away from it. It's an unremarkable piece of work in the extreme. Let's have uh, three tracks now uh, that come on here that we've already looked at before. Annie Lennox's Little Bird. Well, we discussed uh, it, didn't we? Technically speaking, we haven't looked at this. We've looked at the other side of the... Uh, single, which was Love Song for a Vampire. Um, and as we said at the time of reviewing that, Little Bird is much, much better. It so, is. I mean, uh, well done. Yeah, it, I mean, it's, I suppose, you know, a little kind of mini round of applause for uh, at last putting it on a compilation. But uh, it, it smacks of desperation to some extent because Love Song for a Vampire was on the previous one and they've waited till about three months after it was a hit to put it on here, almost as an afterthought, really. But, uh, you know, at least it's there, finally. Snow's Informer is track seven. Shabaranks is leching all over uh, Chevelle Franklin, who gets a, a credit note she on does. this for Mr. Correctly, Rothman. yeah, she does. Still doesn't make it OK. Who was your favourite WWF wrestler? Remember, if you disagree with our choices, we'll have to have a staged, pre-choreographed fight about it, covered in baby oil. I'll just let that image settle in your mind. And who's the best Ray in pop? Ray from 2 Unlimited? Ray Parker Jr.? Ray's a light? Tell us, it will give you something to do. At the Oblong Desk, on one of our designated social media platforms, is the place to do it. Sounds still to make their way into your ear canals include Noakes saying this. It's like Gary Barlow's listened to a few R&B records and thought, I can do that. Me saying this. His little face lit up when he went, Oh wow, do you like The Prodigy? Another Warnock Award. And we'll pick our favourite tracks from the two albums. That's all after we invite you to make ready with the glow sticks, whistles and other rave paraphernalia. Here come The Prodigy. 
it's Oblong Desk and John and myself are reviewing the first two Hits 93 albums. We're on to volume two now and you've just heard track nine, which is Wind It Up, Rewound by The Prodigy. As you know, big Prodigy fan. This is no exception. I do love this a lot. Around uh, Christmas time, I was at a party. And it was one of these modern silent disco parties. I'd never been to a silent disco. And um, they had like three channels on your headphones. You could switch between. There was kind of a pop channel. There was kind of a sort of long FM songs channel, which I scrupulously avoided. All Why? <laughs> and, then, and then the youth that was at this party. And I think this is the beauty of a silent disco. You can all basically have your own party. Uh, they commandeered this and we're listening to what can only be described as hardcore Russian techno <laughs> and occasionally you flick onto this channel by accident but at one point uh, I got chatting to one of the youth because they, they they could see, you can see what channel other people are listening to because there's a coloured thing uh, okay. on the side of the headphone so you can see uh, and one of them came up to me in a kind of look, there's an old man listening to our music let's, let's rib him and he said, you're enjoying it. And I went, do you know what? Actually, I am, yes, because it sounds quite a lot like The Prodigy. And his little face lit up and he went, oh, wow, do you like The Prodigy? And I think he honestly thought that he'd just, like, discovered this. And he couldn't believe that old people were also aware of and into hardcore techno, uh, which wind it up is. It's pretty heavy. It's pretty insistent. But there was a lovely moment of um, the generations bonding over some really quite wacky techno. It's a bit like that McDonald's advert where the young chap and the old guy realise that they all do things in exactly the same way when they go into a restaurant. Only better. And that's the second time we've mentioned them today. So, um, you know, it's uh, sponsorship for this when show is still available. Um, <laughs> let's yeah, when they open up, when they open up again, we'll have um, free chicken nuggets for <laughs> muck chicken sandwich. Yes. Um, so, yes, I agree. Uh, in summary, I've never done one of those silent discos, but now you've made it sound much more interesting than I imagined it to be. Though, why you'd want to listen to Lung FM style things, I do not know. But uh, yeah, certainly rave is a better option. Another thing I've always wondered is, you know, how in old people's homes they do music therapy, and they get someone in and they sing, you know, I don't know, we'll meet again or hang out your washing on the Siegfried line. Do you think when we're old and in nursing homes, someone's going to come in with the boombox and start playing Bizarre Ink? an alternate and we're all going to be clapping along going top one nice one get sorted i really hope so I if we do don't get that so. if we don't get that when we're 90 there's something seriously wrong with the world i do hope so that's just made me feel so much better about the next 45 yes, years of my yeah life. it does me Fantastic. as well it's a nice comforting thought isn't it uh, anyway uh, music yes uh, the prodigy <laughs> i sound like i'm seen already uh yeah wind, <laughs> wind, wind it up kind of mid mid to end period of their you know ravey kind of traditional ravey stuff at the beginning of their career and it's one of the better ones i think it's a good song track 10 we've already covered off ain't no love ain't no use by sub sub featuring melanie williams track 11 is get here by q featuring tracy ackerman and uh, we're back to the plinky plunk cover versions again yeah she's borrowed undercovers blip blops and undercover's back in it basically just sounds like undercover um doing alita adams hmm. and that's all you need to know about it i suppose the thing it's got going for it is 
that get here always sounds like it needs a rocket up its backside just it to does. get going a bit. It's yeah. so painfully slow. Um, so at least this one does get a move on a little bit. Yeah, it got to number 37, so it just about made it into the chart. We actually mentioned the follow-up single to this, the one that Tony Jackson sang about. We were talking about this when we were uh, covering Rage and Run To You on Now 23. Um, so the follow-up wasn't a hit, this one was. Tracy Ackerman, though, had been around for quite a long time. She was one of those industry stalwarts. She'd done backing vocals for a load of other people. Um, she, as far back as 1981, featured on a Blondie medley called Platinum Pop, which um, featured her, but was credited to this year's Blonde. Um, only got to number 46, but she got a Top of the Pops appearance out of it, so she'd been on Top of the Pops 12 years before this. There was also a follow-up single by this year's Blonde, where they did some Madonna tracks in a medley, but I'm not 100% sure whether that was her on that one as well. It's interesting how you get some people, it's like, like the journeyman footballer, who occasionally has their moment in the sun. It's a bit like what happened in 1991 with uh, Miriam Stockley when she got to sing on Only You by Praise. Um, she'd been, a, and, and still is, I think, a backing vocalist for many other star acts. She finally got her day in the sun with that song, and then half the compilations that appeared on never credited her. So uh, at least Tracy Ackerman's name is here on this compilation, present and correct. Well done, Terry Starr. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we've given him a lot of stick, so let's praise him there. Time for some more stick now. It's Warnock 4, Volume 2. And this time, we're giving it to Take That. We've really gone for it this <laughs> this episode. Tom Jones and Take That. Take That are having uh, the Warnock 4, the song, Why Can't I Wake Up With You? And I'll tell you why because it's absolutely risible, this thing, and it's everything that Take That should not be doing, they're doing on this. And, oh, please can we just hurry up to the point where we, we get to back for good? I can't wait, because every moment that we're spending... Do you know what? Actually, I'll even take Babe. Oh dear! Can we just that, get to no. Can we just get to Babe? No, I, I, that's not one of my favourites. But um, yeah, it's it's like Gary Barlow's listened to a few R and B records and thought I can do that. Uh, no, you can't, Gary. Not not yet. You know how on previous desks we've said that that early take that back catalogue should be wiped out. Well, this should be the very first thing to go. <laughs> So, yeah, so we'll move on to track 13, Sybil, when I'm good and ready, which marks the moment when we give Terry Starr the equivalent of Ashley Abram applause. We haven't come up with a great title for this. Uh, if you can, listener, send one in, and we might use it in the future, and we'll credit you, obviously. But for now, it's Terry Starr's Ashley Abram applause, uh, because all the artists for the next five tracks in a row start with the letter S. Are we or, are we taking I'm Robin S? I'm slightly cheating. Yeah, cheating. <laughs> it's, it's S comma Robin, is it then? I, I guess it's a, that that's that's her surname, obviously. Yes, okay. Robin S. All right, then we'll yes. give you that. So one. She, she, so in the URN catalogue, she would have been catalogued S comma Robin. Yeah, okay, fair enough. All right, I'll I'll give you that one. Okay, but we're going to start with Sybil. When I'm good and ready, which pretty much dance fodder for the time. I don't think it's as good an example as Rapination of 1993's no. dance, but it is of that ilk. It is. It's not a million miles away from the West End featuring Sybil song, as you'd expect. They were both on the same label, PWL, Continental, International, uh, 
Express or whatever it was called by this point. Um, and uh, yeah, it's okay. I can't think of anything particularly exciting to say about it. I mean, you wouldn't turn it off the radio probably, but it's not, not one to exactly get up and dance around the room to either. Unlike track 14, well, which sees <laughs> it sees us entering into Eurovision territory, um, which is something very close to both of our hearts. And an interesting entry this year because we picked somebody completely not credible in the slightest with a uh, an okay not bad at all song bit cheesy uh, it's sonia and better the devil you know which finished second i know it's it's one of those songs that you can't help think would be better sung by somebody else uh, i mean even if they got michael ball back again to sing it um i think even he could have done a better job i mean it is sonia at the end of the day but the song's okay and you know we just shrugged our shoulders really when it came running up we're like oh okay never mind that again always next year and um what we'd do for a second place finish now um it's amazing isn't it really yeah i mean let's be serious about this for a moment uh if this was to be entered into eurovision now it would come nowhere because oh, it's not yeah. great and we've we've entered loads better since then um that has done really appallingly and it's got nothing to do with the quality of the song and the singer basically i think we're being about fairly represented these days for the level of song that we enter and the level of artist that we enter compared with the rest of Europe and it's just in those days stuff that was really quite bland didn't have as much competition yeah that's true and and also we were right in the middle of the Ireland winning every year with tedious ballads phase and, and any upbeat song because there weren't many by this point did uh, did fairly well I mean the, the oh, so again the Nadir was the following year, 94, when I think I counted on one hand the number of upbeat songs there were in the contest. Or maybe I just got onto a second hand. But certainly no more than half a dozen. It was a simpler time when Sonia could rock up, um, do a perfectly passable performance of this because it you know it was all right she did a decent enough job on the night and we'd just rack up the points and there we would be in second place. But uh, different different times. <laughs> Track 15 on Hits 93 Volume 2 is called Happiness. It's by Sirius Rope, featuring Sharon D. Clarke, who doesn't get a credit on the back of the CD, but does get one in the booklet, which is one of those unique errors that sometimes happen around this time. Sharon D. Clarke um, was, of course, uh, I say of course, you may not know this, but she was the vocalist on I Want to Give You Devotion by Nomad, uh, FBI Project, going back to my roots. She was a kind of vocalist for hire, really. Um, this got to number 54, a remix made number 70 the year after. It's actually a medley of two songs really and if you look in the booklet again it gives you a bit more information about this um it's a medley of an original tune called happiness by damon rochefort who was the guy behind nomad and happiness is just around the bend which was originally a number 72 single for cuba gooding in 1983 cuba gooding senior i assume i don't know i haven't checked this um so it's a kind of set yeah, you think so. So it's a kind of semi-cover version. It's not great, and that's probably the reason why this is, I think, he says, scanning the back of the CD quickly. Yes, it is the only one on here not to be a top 40 hit. The people who don't buy these things, sometimes you go, no, you're wrong about 
things that slip through the net but it's a very very personal preference of the, for me this has nothing remarkable about it and i think the the great british public probably made the right call yeah track 16 is robin s uh, s comma um, robin point of order s comma robin yes yes with show me love uh, we've already talked about that elsewhere as we have with shaggy oh carolina uh, but this track 18 is a new one on us on the album that we're reviewing currently here on Oblong Desk which is Hits 93 Volume 2 was that one sing hallelujah exclamation mark I always love a good uh, exclamation mark on a song title that was Dr Alburn yeah sing hallelujah from Dr Alburn is a pretty fantastic tune and uh, really really poppy up tempo it still sounds all right to this day i think yeah i think it does i mean i prefer it to it's my life which if you ever hear dr Olbel on the radio these days it's probably going to be that funnily enough talking about eurovision he uh, entered for sweden not so long ago he uh, put a song into the melody festivalen contest which is their song for europe um but uh, clearly didn't uh, didn't win and represent them in the contest so that's the last recorded thing that he really did. Well, it's nice to see that he's still knocking about because there is um, a website out there that was last updated in 2008 and makes it look like he's died or something, but he very much hasn't. No, he hasn't. We we can confirm here on the desk that he very much hasn't. Um, so I suspect that's just a... Maybe it's a fan site with an out-of-date kind of news thing. Well, hallelujah for that. And hallelujah for this as well um track 19 comes with a pre-warning you will by the time we played even 30 seconds of this be dancing around the room whether you want to or not it's barry manilow she lost her youth and she lost the tony on Hits 93, Volume 2, Copacabana at the Copa, brackets, 90, there's too many brackets, 93 remix. Um, Barry, I mean, I love brackets, but that's just silly. Uh, Barry Manilow, of course. Uh, that remix got to number 22. Have a guess where the original version got to in the hit parade. 
It wasn't a number one, was it? No, very much not. It got to number no. 42. Really? It's one of those, yeah, it's one of those weird things where if you asked even probably Barry Manilow fans, he only had one ever top 10 hit, what was it? They'd probably either say this or Mandy, I would imagine, or maybe I write the songs, perhaps. Can I have a guess at what it was? Yeah, go on. I reckon it must be Bermuda Triangle. Well, it should have been Bermuda Triangle because that, that is his opus, isn't it, really? I mean, I, I think it's it's long overdue that we had another song using a piece of metaphysical, um, proved to be complete nonsense stuff. Uh, just use that as a metaphor for a love affair. Um, maybe someone could do one about Crop Circle. Perhaps, yes. You could you you could you know, tie that into a circle. I'm overthinking this. Anyway, um, no, it wasn't. To answer your question, no, it wasn't Bermuda Triangle. His only top ten hit was called, rather unfortunately, "I Want to Do It with You," a song which almost <laughs> nobody remembers. It's one of those weird chart quirks. Yes, I know. It is uh, why we just well, on, in, in every sense of the word why. But yes, um, his fans his fans obviously went out and bought that in their droves and yet despite the fact that it's arguably his most famous song again you could argue the case for mandy or i write the songs perhaps but copacabana number 42 originally 20 places higher on the remix which was by one of the pwl uh knob twiddlers for want of a, a better word it's joyful uh, i remember it being uh mournfully sung uh in that edition of friends where uh rachel completely crashes some kind of wedding that's going on i think she was um maid of honor or something somebody somebody who's a friends fan will know the episode the one with something in it anyway she starts singing copacabana and basically gets the entire wedding saved from this car crash it's that good (laughs) it's that good and um it's infectious it's an uber tune whatever mood you're in this will come on and you cannot avoid it. You might hate it, but you'll be singing it. It is just one of those kind of songs. Yeah, and I must admit, I when I was listening through these tracks on the CD, because there were quite a few that I, I didn't remember very well, and I certainly didn't remember the remix particularly well, um, I thought, oh, I'm going to skip it. This is going to annoy me. I'm just going to skip this. I ended up listening to nearly all of it, which for a 90s remix in itself is quite unusual. Uh, I mean, the remix is quite sympathetic, I think. There's just some extra beats on top. There's not a great deal extra going on. Uh, It actually, I think it's slightly shorter. I think um, either through speeding it up or perhaps chopping some bits out, it kind of makes it more concise, and I think it works better, weirdly, in this remix form. So it's a rare case of, yeah, actually, the remix doing better in the chart does kind of make sense um you don't tend to hear it so much now at the likes of weddings and parties do you it used to be everywhere didn't it in the 80s i remember all the weddings i went to for my relatives and you know parents friends that always seemed to be uh played at some point yeah it has slightly died but you know what we can introduce it to a whole new generation and they will be they will fall under its clutches as well it's, yeah listen to us kids it's, in- it's great it's an essential piece of listening, unlike our final track <laughs> of the day. Um, and it's, again, you have to wonder at Terry Starr because he's worked his way up through a whole load of dance. He's peaked at Copacabana. That is the last track on an album. Yeah. We've all, we've all just, we've all, at the, uh, we're, yeah. we're all, you know, dank, we're dancing around with our pineapples yeah. and our 
shake it wearing it and then he puts the lemon heads it's a shame about ray on as the last track which is you know, an okay slab yeah, of indie shoegazing but yeah. after manilo what are you doing it's it's tell going hang on uh, i've got one track left i haven't put any indie rock type stuff on this have i not that you can really call it rock but you know there's um it's very much a token effort isn't it you have to say on the nows you usually get a run of tracks that are in the same genre um, this one is just tacked on the end. Oh, uh, hang on a minute. What have we got the rights to? Um, we haven't got the rights to any of the good ones like Suede or anything like that. Um, bring me a copy of the D-list. And uh, and there it is, the Lemonheads. It's a shame about Ray. Not not the Ray that the Hoosiers sang they were worried about, presumably. And and not Ray Stubbs either. Though though it is a shame Ray Stubbs isn't on the telly anymore. What, what happened to him? I've no idea. It's not. It's not Ray out of two unlimited either. No, it isn't. Well, you know, because he's he's got track one. He's he's happy. He's he's not buried in the ether of this no. album. Shall we actually talk about the song if we must? Um, um, it's, it's it's okay. Yeah, it's I, it's okay. It, it, it's not the best thing the Lemonheads ever did by a long chalk, um, and it's not the best piece of indie that has ever been recorded by a long chalk. It just it just kind of is there, and you wait for something sort of exciting to happen mm. and it sort of vaguely does and then it wafts it wafts as you gaze at your shoes yeah it, it is a bit like that i mean a few facts for you it had been their first single stalled at number 70 which is probably all it deserved really but after mrs robinson it's the usual thing the record company thought oh we can whack this one out again and make a hit out of it well they did just the reissue got to number 31 um but yeah it's kind of pretty average really and a rather disappointing way to come to an end of uh, an album to be honest but we've still got the business of discussing what we think our favorite song is are we going to do one across both albums given that we usually do one across two discs of an hour album yes i think that's fair enough i don't think hits should be given unfair advantage particularly after the frankly shoddy effort they've made in comparison to mr abram in putting all this together i have narrowed it down to two and then I rejected one out of hand because I can't do this to myself. Uh, it was basically between The Prodigy and Barry Manilow. <laughs> and as Barry Manilow is essentially, this version of it is not sufficiently different from being a 1970s novelty song. I've got to go with The Prodigy. I've got to, much as it pains me, to reject the infectiousness of Barry Manilow, I'm going to go with The Prodigy Wind It Up, which is a fine slice of rave. Okay, well, um, I am going to reject all of Volume 2 out of hand. It just doesn't do it for me somehow. I I don't know whether it's just back to the URN effect again, but I've got more happy memories around the songs on uh, Volume 1 than Volume 2 in general. Um, Of the ones that we haven't talked about before, the standouts for me are Mood Swings. It's another one of those. It's nice to have it on here as a snapshot of the time. But I think, for old time's sake, um, if only for the fact that uh, I get to say it for the third time in this edition i am going to pick rapination and kim mazelle with love me the right way you knew that i'd do that didn't you i was fairly certain yeah yeah (laughs) i've heard you say it a lot and it never gets old (laughs) fabulous there's two hits albums we shall be back with some more oblong desk very soon if you'd like to get in touch with us though uh, then you can do so by and it's slightly changed this time because we've been streamlining you need to type at the oblong desk 
uh, if you want to get in touch with us on either Facebook or Twitter, or you can come to our website, which is oblongdesk.podbean.com, and there you can leave us messages, as we've been discussing, whether you like stuff or whether you don't like stuff, whether you've got ideas for things we should be doing, or whether you just want to comment on some of your favourite songs that you've heard us discussing. Those are the places to do it. And if you want to come up with a modern version of Bermuda Triangle by Barry Manilow, where you use some pseudo-scientific nonsense as a metaphor for a love affair, then uh, please do let us know what you'd call it and what it would be about. I can't guarantee that we won't nick it if your idea is brilliant, though, because, uh, John, I know you can uh, you can put some songs together with your, with your skills. But, yes, get in touch, and um, John and I will speak to you very soon on another Oblong Desk. Bye! Oblong Desk is research, written and presented by Noakes and John Tyndall with original music by John. Subscribe to the podcast via your app of choice or at oblongdesk.podbean.com and never miss an episode again. Oblong Desk.